You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? It is episode 134, the Christmas edition of the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, my name is Marvin Yet, and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days is a very jolly, former self-proclaimed professional Asian American, just you. It's the season to be a ho-ho-ho, Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> is that your brand this year? I mean, not anymore, I guess, because I'm engaged and fucking planning a wedding. But, you know, she had her moments back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> it's been too cold to hold, though. Like, hoes well, don't get cold. Cold, sluts don't get cold. I, I do attest to that theory, but it's been really cold. So, and here I thought. Not a hoe no more. Well, you're in luck because it's going to be like 80 degrees come oh Christmas. God, thank God. Oh, okay. tomorrow it's thank 72. God. What? Yeah. What? So I should turn off my heater? No, 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 no. It still goes to 40 oh. at night. Okay. Yeah. It's just one of those messed up California winters, you know. And here I was thinking you were talking about like House of Ho for a while there. <laughs> no. The second season did come out. And I, I didn't watch it. it I was scared to watch it. Just knowing what happened to like Nate's family. I was just like, I don't know how they're going to handle this. Yeah. I wonder if they even addressed it, to be honest. We should probably, one of us, one of us should go check it out at some point. Nose goes. <laughs> I probably will, but maybe not willingly. Like, uh, I'll, maybe I'll ask my cousin first if she watched it. Because, you know, she's still in Houston. So, Yeah. Anyway. Well, that voice is our own professional culture editor, Han Nguyen. Home for the Hana days. Haha. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> actually, speaking of Houston, um, they're going to get a flash freeze coming Friday. Oh, it's going to no. be like in the teens. Oh, hopefully, no. hopefully the uh, electrical grid holds up because I don't want to think about my mom freezing again in her little apartment. But um, yeah, I uh, the grid better hold up. But yeah, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's is, basically what's on my mind. I mean, is the senator taking a vacation in Cancun again? Uh, I, I, I think... It will be back to maybe 40s by Saturday. But yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it gets to just kind of like regular cold um, and it won't be long term. But yeah. definitely everyone's like wrapping the pipes and stuff like that. That still all sounds too cold. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. It's too cold for Houston. Like literally when I've lived there, I've never experienced anything below. I feel like 30. So this is there's no insulation anywhere there. Yeah, because we're not used to it. We we don't expect it. And the and the fact that this has happened since I've been away, and of course, you know, we know that climate change is real. <laughs> so uh it's yeah, it's well if it's global and- warming, why is it cold? Huh? Shut yeah. up, Marvin. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Sorry, that uh, was very automatic. That was I- that was a reflex. <laughs> I'd feel better if it just wasn't my elderly, you know, relatives there. Like, well, I hope yeah. your family is okay, Han. Tell Thanks. them to turn off their water so their pipes don't burst. Yeah, they're all preparing. And since the last freeze, apparently I had given uh, sent enough things to my mom, hopefully to help her out. Like I gave her like lanterns and warming thingies and other stuff that hopefully she can... Uh, yeah, but I will call her again to remind her to charge everything, and then also remind her like if you're gonna cook, you know, go to the balcony. <laughs> so. It's 2022. It's way too early to be experiencing all these like apocalyptic occurrences, like pandemics and freezes. Yeah, 
What do yeah. they call it? It's a tripodemic or something like that. Yeah, tripodemic. There's Monkey, three things going on. Monkeypox, RSV, this, and then there's a fourth mystery illness that a lot of people are experiencing. Oh, God. Cool, 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 cool. It's probably yeah. zombies at this point. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I think for- I'd make a really bad zombie because <laughs> I can't really run in the first place. So I don't think being dead would make me a faster runner. Maybe you just have to be a slow zombie. I don't know. Yeah, but those are easy to, you know, <laughs> run from. <sighs> anyway. Oh, so, anyways. Yeah, looking <laughs> looking forward to press tour. <laughs> Ooh, happy holidays, everybody. <laughs> uh, we are celebrating this holiday season by watching another Asian-led Christmas film, um, A Hollywood Christmas, starring Jessica Van, which is streaming now on HBO Max. Um, but before we get to all the jolliness, uh, let's find out what pop culture is bringing us through this Christmas week. Uh, Jess, what's popping? So Raymond and I have been working our way through Kirby and the Forgotten Land. It came out a while ago, but it is um, a Kirby game on the switch i want to say switch i think you play on multiple things but you know they have a co-op mode so i do not like the pressure of being kirby so i always play the little assistant and this one you're a little waddle d with a bandana um it's cute but the premise is kind of bleak but very cute basically you get transported from the kirby dreamland universe into the what is very likely our universe, but like post-apocalyptic happenings, everything's abandoned, but everything, you know, the structures are there. So you yeah, like, like go through shopping re- malls. Nature's reclaimed the world, right? Yes. Yes, it's like dilapidated cities and theme there's a theme park level and like like land. There's a there's like a factory-esque land. Um, but the most notable part of this Kirby game is something called Mouthful Mode, which you as Kirby um, swallow large abandoned things and temporarily accumulate their powers, Ooh. which you need to get through the level. So certain things you can mouthful include a safety cone, a car, which you can then drive. A boat, uh, a hangar. Oh, I'm sorry. You, you don't mouthful the boat. You mouthful a ring fan in which you use to steer the boat. Uh, risers. Uh, you could chug a bunch of water from a pipe. Um, the, a soda can vending machine, uh, which then becomes weapons to destroy things. Um, It's very cute. I know it sounds a little bleak, but it is actually very cute. It's very fun. Kirby is just the right amount of challenging for me where, you know, there are, it tickles the brain, but it's not frustrating or, and it's not scary. But I will say as someone who has skipped multiple generations of video game consoles, I, the last video game console I got personally was like a Nintendo 64. It's really charming to go into 3D. Because I don't understand planes in video games. So I always <laughs> fall off things. Yeah. I can't keep track of where I am. I hit lava and then I die. Again, I'm the helper, so it really doesn't matter. I can regenerate myself. Um, but it's been really fun and really cute. Definitely would recommend, especially if you have someone to play with. It's been a great bonding activity. Yeah. I mean, Kirby's always been like 
the beginner's platformer. Um, Very at least accessible. In recent yes. um, generations, the original Kirby games, like the ones on Nintendo and Game Boy, were actually pretty challenging. Um, there are some hard bosses I remember fighting, but the design doctrine for the recent Kirby games have all been, let's just be chill. And yeah, you can't really fuck up Kirby that bad. Um, you know, you are like like things are laid out very easy, like well done for like beginners um, where where you're like, OK, like this is really hard. I must be missing something because there's no way it's going to be this hard to accomplish this goal. And then you're <laughs> like, oh, no, like there's a shortcut here. That's how I make the time. So it is really fun. You just have to be a little observant. Um, and then there's yeah. really no like consequence, like the rewards are high, but the consequences are like not really there <laughs> if you fuck up. But the one thing that's kind of weird is that basically you go around saving the Waddle Dees, which are the little like face blobby things. And then they come join your Waddle Dee town and you, I guess you enslave them to help you build your town. Raymond keeps insisting they're not being enslaved. They're just helping. I'm like, looks like slaving, like looks like <laughs> enslavement to me. Yeah. At least indentured servitude at the very least. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not good. I mean, this Kirby by its, I mean, Kirby by itself has always been like a strange property, you know, like for a long time. It was like, is this, is this just a war fetish, the video game? Um, and, you know, this game, you literally do swallow things in your mouth and go around. Um, you, but, it's very vor. It's very vor. <laughs> um, but, you, you know, know in the game where you're, you're existentially existing in a post-apocalyptic world, wondering, is this where humans used to be? I can see enslaving Waddle Dees as part of the, <laughs> part of the theme as well. It's, it's also like some of the... Some of the villains like the stock villains like the the minion things that like try to hurt you in each level are just too cute like they're really really fucking cute and i feel really bad having to kill them like you didn't want to eat the puppies dog like the dog is so cute and i'm just like please stop making me kill them like <laughs> i just want to hug them so that that's kind of a bummer well i'm glad those dog sacrifice is helping you bond more with your fiance over video games <laughs> yes yes we like i like i like cute things some things are too scary for me i can't handle it <laughs> so this is just the right amount of for me yeah uh han what's pop okay like i feel like it's a theme <laughs> in this week's um what's poppins because they all share existential dread as a central plot point um han what's popping with you <laughs> what are you talking about dread this is delightful um so for me, it is the return of Alice in Borderland. Um, for those of you who don't or aren't familiar with it, um, before Squid Game was Squid Game, three years ago, Alice in Borderland is a Japanese uh, Netflix series based upon the manga um, by Haro Aso um, of the same name. Basically, it is um, various people in Tokyo um, all of a sudden one day find themselves in an what the the closest they can figure out is an alternate dimension Tokyo where the everyone else has disappeared except for them and some others. Um, and they're forced to play death games. Um, and the uh, level of difficulty of the death game is determined by a playing card. And the type of death game is determined by the suit of the playing card. Um, and they're kind of fucked up because obviously they're death games, but like <laughs> some of like, obviously, but like the heart, you know, suit means that it's going to fuck with your like 
your mind and your heart and your emotions. So like you might need to kill your friend, that type of thing. Oh, no. But it's so good. And I think one of the reasons why it's so good is, yes, it's, since it's based on the manga, there are colorful characters in there my favorite is this like problematic favorite is this blonde guy who like he's just a little shit but he's also great um and uh i i will share a gif of of him with you uh, shortly but um it's they do create good character work and they do talk about you know like some of the bigger reasons why you know someone's thinking the main character Arisu Alice Aris um is you know he has ex- existential questions like what is this what is my purpose should i be killing people what if i do like <laughs> you know and just like does what does it make me like what is my purpose here as far as like is it to be a good person is it to win these games um so each of the characters are fairly well done in the first season i have watched the second season on screeners so i won't give anything away um but uh i have to say my favorite character is back and he gets like more screen time because even though he was my favorite character in the first season apparently he was only in the series for 10 minutes (laughs) So, like, all together, they did a super cut of all of his scenes. It was, like, 10 minutes. I was like, wow, he really made an impact on me. So this time around, he gets, like, his own, like, plot points and stuff like that. Um, I will say uh, there, this is in the trailer for season two, there is a naked guy. And um, it's he's a very, very fun character besides him being naked um, because he's also very fit. So he's he's it's pleasant to look at him. Um, but yeah, so there's just a lot of like over the top characters um, and situations. And I think if you do like Squid Game, give this a try. I think you might like some of it better because, like I said, the characterizations are better, deeper. Um, some of the things are not as great. Like I do have to say some of the female characters, while on the surface, they seem cool. Stuff happens that I'm not happy with. <laughs> Um, and so it kind of like, you know, let's say there's a schoolgirl because the Japanese love their schoolgirls, right? So um, there's things that I'm just like, yeah, you could have left that out. You know? So um, anyway, I still enjoyed it. Still very good. I'm planning out my coverage for it. And it comes back by the time you uh, are listening to this episode. Right. So um, death games obviously are now a known quantity in American media after you know success of things like squid game things like the hunger games um yeah. but my question is for alice in borderland because i have not watched it but i know that it oh, you is should. based on like a japanese manga um mm-hmm. as was you know films like battle royale which battle royale mm-hmm. um arguably kickstarted the whole like craze back in the early 2000s right. um so my question is where is the pathos in this um this series right we squid game it was capitalism um what what is alice in borderland actually about like what is an allegory for i guess it's it is maybe how you decide to live your life um which is pretty deep you know like uh it 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 runs throughout the whole thing yes part of it is about morality you know and how you decide to play the game but you know once it's a death game you kind of certain things are out the window so you're like well what how do i decide to play it then um but also yeah like given a lot of these characters experience loss. What do they do then? How do they decide to move forward if they move forward? Um, you kind of, in some ways, don't fault certain characters for being a bit more selfish later on because, you know, that's the only way they can survive, things like that. Um, so it's it, it's 
it's not just capitalism. I think some of it is also like, do you, uh, are you a boss for someone? Are you an employee? Are you a team worker, um, team player that is? Uh, so it actually has many different dimensions. Um, and especially when I say, since all the characters have um, a little bit deeper storylines than we've seen in Squid Game, um, they each are dealing with different types of things. The main character, Arisu, um, he has two best friends. And so how he um, deals with life, because in his real life, He's kind of a, a slacker who just plays video games. Hmm, maybe that will make him good at this. Um, and his two other friends are also slackers. So it's kind of like, well, what do we do here? <laughs> you know? Wait, like, are his we friends can't just also be in the death game? Yeah, he 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 was with them at the same time no. when they all got transported at the same time. So um it, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of odd. So uh, if you haven't started it, definitely start it. Um, <laughs> avoid spoilers for season two because they will be fast and furious. Um, I highly recommend this show. Yeah. And I guess my other question for people who might be interested in watching this is how violent does it get? Because I know that's oh. an issue for some people as well. Well, okay. Since it is a death game, <laughs> um, <laughs> besides it being violent. So one of the ways, well, maybe there's a couple of ways. There are, there are a few ways that people die. Number one is you are forced to play the desk game. And if you die within the game, that can be various ways, right? Like it could be someone killing you. It could be like there's a, a fire pit, whatever. So the deaths in the games vary. However, if you clear the game, uh, then you get a visa. And that visa is of varying lengths. But that means during that time where you have a visa, you don't have to play death games, let's say three days. But if you decide to ignore the length of your visa and not go back to play another death game, a laser comes out of the sky and kills you on the spot. So um, there is some sort of GPS apparently in your head. <laughs> and um, so you are constantly forced to play death games. Um, so yeah. Uh, so the first season is, is it is gory and it's very sad because of course, you know, like I said, there's a hearts game. Um, but I have to say season two upped the gore factor in ways that I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> so that is a warning to you. If you have a, uh, a queasy stomach, maybe if you are aware of certain things going to happen, look away. Um, if you just know you can't deal with it at all, you know, sure. I, I don't fault you for not watching a death game show, <laughs> but I still really enjoyed this. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to watch it, but um, if I ever feel the hankering for a death game, um, I'll check it out, I guess. Season, yeah, season one's easier than season two, I have to say, <laughs> but in ways, anyway. Uh, so anyway, that's me. What's popping with you, Marvin? All right, my what's popping is also um, caked in existential dread, um, this time revolving around capitalism. Um I've been playing a new video game. Um, as listeners may remember, I have been spending my holidays catching up on some of this year's um, best narrative-driven games that I missed. Um, this time I'm playing Citizen Sleeper, which is a um, kind of a visual novel with RPG elements where you play as a sleeper, um, an android that's been imprinted with the memories and mind of a person who has essentially signed away the rights to digitize their mind to a corporation in return for passage on a long-distance colony ship uh, to start a new life in a distant space colony. And so the game starts as your character escapes their indentured servitude um, to a 
independent space station called the Eye, um, where they start their own new life as a um, newly freed android person. The only problem is that your body is slowly starting to break down what? because your android body <laughs> is designed to shut down without the regular pharmaceutical injections given by um, the corporation that used to own you um, as a failsafe for preventing their proprietary technology from getting out into the world. And so the game follows you as you try to make a new life for yourself, doing jobs around the station so you can make money so that you can buy food, uh, which you still need for energy, um, while also affording the black market pharmaceuticals to keep your robot body from breaking down. This is fun for you? <laughs> is this not just life? But you see, you see, it's an allegory for life <laughs> under capitalism. I don't even think it's an allegory. I think you just, at this point, you just described adult life in the United States in 2022? Well, they don't own our souls yet. But you're a yet. robot. Yeah, they don't own our souls yet. Um, of course, you know, they're they're stealing our images with AI art. So, you know, we're getting there. We're just not there yet. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, whatever, whatever floats your boat, my dude. <laughs> well, existential dread aside, it's a really well done game. Um, it employs a lot of um, concepts and systems from tabletop RPGs. Um, so the way the game works is every day you're allotted a certain number of die and you can assign those die to um, certain tasks like uh, working in a shipyard or foraging for mushrooms. And um, each die is pre-rolled with a value from one through six. And so um, depending on the value, you know, the higher the value of die you assign to a task, the higher chance that you have a positive outcome. And so, you know, each action has three different outcomes, a positive effect, which gives you what you need and more, a neutral effect, which means you succeed, uh, but you might also take a take a penalty and a negative effect, which um, is all penalty. And so this is very similar to uh, tabletop RPG systems like Blades in the Dark, and it also employs clocks, which is another um, tabletop RPG concept, um, which slowly fill up as you succeed or fail um, your tasks, which will trigger um, larger scale effects and events as well. And so the game part of Citizen Sleeper is all about deciding, you know, where to put your die each day, um, you know, spending your lower die on safer activities and spending your higher die um, on more risky activities. And it's a pretty fun loop. It's a narrative-driven game, so um, even failures will drive the story forward. So it's not a game where you're actively trying to win all the time, uh, but you are making decisions and seeing where the story goes. There's a lot of branching paths depending on which clocks fill up and when, and I think there's like eight different endings depending on what your decisions are during the game. So there's quite a bit of replayability too. And it's not a really hard game. It really focuses a lot on the story. So um, it does a really good job building this sci-fi dystopia world that's been you know ruined by capitalism. And I'm having a great time um, playing and reading through it. So yeah, uh, the game is Citizen Sleeper. It's available now on Switch, um, Xbox, and PC. I'm playing on my Switch. I play at night before I go to sleep. You know, so I can dream about how capitalism is killing us all slowly. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it, there it, is no escape. Every time you describe a video game, I'm braced. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, that sounds cute. Like a fox has to own a bakery. But he's really baking the souls of his dead parents. <laughs> and I'm just like, are you okay? 
you know, next time I'll play a lighthearted, more lighthearted game <laughs> just to bring, you know what? Butterfly Soup 2 is out, which is what? a story about Asian American queer girls playing softball. So maybe I'll play that oh. next time and talk to you guys about that. That sounds interesting. It's free on Itch.io. <laughs> so um, definitely if you're interested in that, check that out too. If you're interested, <laughs> you're interested in the game that's not depressing or um, about existential dread, I guess. Um, I mean, I just talked about a death game. So I, who am I to judge? So. Yeah. <laughs> death game, but apocalypse, but make it cute. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, art is inspired by the world around us. I mean, it, it it is a good point that how we deal with things uh, is reflected in our art. And I, <laughs> while I cannot maybe deal with that kind of thing through a video game, um, definitely the media I consume is, can be darker. I, although I have to say, when Alice in Borderland first came out, I actually wasn't in the position to mentally watch this show. So, um, yeah, how yeah. I came around in the third year of pandemic for it who knows yeah and i mean it's also asking interesting things about transhumanism and like if you're a copy of a person but that person still exists what does yeah. that make you because you know my robot character is based on the mind of a person who still exists but is frozen mm -hmm. in time so everything i do now is like does that make me my own person and if i am my own person does that give me the right to exist and, you know, those existential questions Kirby are also... Kirby asks, <laughs> Kirby in the Forgotten Land asks, what can I fit in my mouth? <laughs> but how big is your mouth? And it's oh. not about... It's Kirby's not Kirby's is very elastic, so yeah. you could fit a lot. I mean, Kirby, um, Kirby as a concept is a very, like... That's like some elder god levels of, like, existential... But he's pink and he's squishy. He says, hi. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what's popping for this week. Uh, when we come back, we're checking out the HBO Max holiday film, A Hollywood Christmas. Stick around. Hey, Sharon. Hey, Roman. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Raman and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah, Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lun Yang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. Hello, I'm Phil Yu, and I'm the host of All the Asians on Star Trek, the podcast in which I interview all the Asians on Star Trek. I'm talking to actors, writers, directors, stunt people, background extras. You know, all the Asians on Star Trek. Find out more at alltheasiansonstartrek.com. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Live long and prosper. All right, and welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. On this episode, we're talking about the new HBO Christmas movie, 
A Hollywood Christmas, starring Jessica Van and some guy from General Hospital that I don't remember his <laughs> name. A Hollywood Christmas is a Christmas movie about Christmas movies. Jessica Van plays Jessica, a director of Christmas movies, who has just been told by her new boss Christopher that because of a merger that happened with her parent entertainment company, the Christmas division, and as a result, all Christmas movies are about to be shut down. And so, in the face of budget cuts and Corporate turmoil. She resolves to make the best Christmas movie she can, and in the process, maybe teach Christopher, the new network executive, the power of Christmas as well. So right off the bat,、um, I thought it was really interesting that the central storyline of this film is a shakeup due to a merger of entertainment companies, especially with what's happening at Warner Brothers right now. Yeah, I did find it ironic that、um, you know. That is also there's too many layers to this. That basically HBO is also axing a bunch of things, HBO Max,、um, and so weird timing for that to be the focal point and lesson from this movie. <laughs> and also like the inciting incident as well, right? I mean, I guess, I guess does this mean Zaslav doesn't hate Christmas if he's letting this exist, or was it just already there? So he just it, it was already there, but also as we all know. Christmas films are really cheap to produce, so and this basically has no one in it. That well, I don't want to say no one, but like they're not the big names that you have to pay them a lot of money for, like residuals and stuff. So I I think this was one that kind of was like ah fine.、Um, whereas the other ones, they're like tax write off because they're the most expensive movie, or or they have like all these actors or something. So、um, yeah, there's that. I I feel like. Discovery actually did their own、um, Christmas movies, also. If you recall,、um, Discovery Plus had a bunch of Christmas movies that all of a sudden had like some Food Network people in it, or whatever. So, I don't think Zaslav is opposed to Christmas movies. I、um, guess the economics of a Christmas movie is exactly Zaslav's、um, yeah speed, right? Yeah, which which is funny because apparently in the, this movie's universe. Even that's not not viable.、Um, I I will say it did get me at the beginning. I didn't realize. I I knew this was a Hollywood Christmas, I, but I didn't see any trailers or anything, so I didn't realize that. I I didn't realize it was going to be so meta, like a Christmas movie about Christmas movies.、Um, and I actually thought when it first started that opening scene in the movie within the movie, I thought that was the actual movie. That's I was actually thinking, man. This set looks really cheap, and this acting is real bad. It was perfect, actually. <laughs> it was.、Um, it, it it looked exactly like that, like the usual Christmas movies we watch, where everyone's wearing red and green. It's kind of a cheap, like cardboardy looking sort of set. And then also,、um, what was I thinking? the The movie within the movie thing was so funny because. They didn't even hide it. It was totally on the Warner Brothers lot. Like, yeah, I was, this is a back lot. <laughs> this, is a, this is the back lot. We I've walked through so many of these sets and so many of these fronts, and you know they have the water tower right there. <laughs> It's just like yeah, you know, great. They paid for nothing just to shoot it on the lot, on the back lot, and just, yeah, it was great. <laughs> But then because it's an actual back lot, like you. You know, these are just resources that a Hollywood studio production company would have. 
So in the way that makes it look very expensive because everything (laughs) is real, therefore looks real. So I'm just like, oh, that's this is like I I, actually in terms of production value, this is it's very good for a Christmas movie. Yeah. And And in a year uh, where we did not get a new Christmas prince, I was like, or or Christmas uh, princess switch. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, this is great. Like, this is the, um, <laughs> it's filling a weird, campy, Christmas tree-shaped hole in my heart. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, after after the, I guess, disappointment that we had from Christmas at the Golden Dragon, it was nice <laughs> to see a straightforward Christmas movie that wasn't trying to do, like, a billion things and not really succeeding. Like, yeah, what did you all think of this film as a Christmas film. I thought it was really cute. He obviously, the writer and director obviously understand the beats of a Christmas film because they write that in, right? And it was, I I actually think Jessica Van is super charming and carried off the lead with, like, I think in a, like a less likable actor, this would have just been really annoying or a little too on the nose. But I think Jessica Van really pulled it off, and she's super cute. He's like, okay, he's whatever. He's kind of forgettable. Let's be real. Yeah, like, I had the question. Could, what's that's the, literally, yeah. Yeah, what's the appeal of General Hospital guy? Um, how, I think. How, how does he stack in terms of Christmas movie dudes? Dude leads because well, he's been in Christmas movies before, before, right? Well, I mean, I don't know if he has, but sure, I would believe it um, because a lot of these Christmas movies do. Um, star people who have been in in other made a name for themselves in other things, either if it was in the '90s, or um, a WB show, or he a, definitely um, gave WB vibes. Like he reminded me of a or, yeah. Superman from uh, from Smallville. Yeah, or a soap opera. So this is kind of on brand because they try to bring people into Christmas movies that have a uh, recognition factor for someone, let's say, 10 years ago um, or 20 years ago, uh, depending on how old they want this character to be, because they bring along with them not only an audience, but a sort of like a cozy familiarity. I don't watch soap, so I never know who these people are. I only know if they've been on like, you know, a one tree hill or whatever. That's um, what I was saying. I was like, maybe we're not the general hospital demographic, yeah. but like, we could have gotten like a James Lafferty. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do agree that I would have liked a stronger co-lead for her as a romantic interest. Cause he was, he felt like he was just there to me. I also felt like her, her AD was way hotter. He was, yeah, she should have hooked up with <laughs> Daniel, her AD. Yeah. He was so, maybe it's also because we find competence sexy. But yeah. I was like, he's right there. Right. It, it was just like, he was so much more helpful. He was way more interesting. And then like, they kind of made him like wear an elf costume and play guitar at one point. And I was like, what a waste of this person. <laughs> though, though I will say, um, I mean, I think already like, romance with your network executive is already like gross dubious and like not a good situation and um yeah yeah. hit director hitting on their uh ad well no no i'm not saying that he would have stayed the ad i think like he should have just been the lead the male lead right 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 he could have been they could have like rewritten that like so he wasn't like her boss or whatever someone directly uh related to her employment yeah yeah he i mean look Throw him in some suits. I think it would look nice. But then um, it wouldn't have so, followed the Christmas formula, which this film is very concerned about, being yes. being that the AD was already bought into Christmas from the beginning. 
You need yeah. to have someone. You need to have a non-believer come in and be swept away by the Christmas spirit. Yeah, you. Could, I mean, that's always the thing. Christmas spirit, kind of like, especially even in Hollywood when it's still sunny outside, um, is is very important to show that you can have it anywhere. Um, I liked the concept of the very meta Hollywood Christmas um, talking about the formula saying we need this this and this to make it work um, and all that I do feel that the few times that they kind of upset the formula or at least poked at it were fun they could have done it a lot more yeah I was actually a little disappointed (laughs) that they didn't do more with the meta angle like I wanted more subversion maybe that's just me as like Mm -hmm. a person who just wants to like upend the system like if you're gonna give us like a self-aware christmas movie like let's go self-aware let's let's subvert all the tropes instead of like ending up following them which ultimately was a little disappointing in my opinion yeah for example something i really appreciated was that the actors of the movie within the movie right um uh they hooked up with each other even though the guy already had a girlfriend, but it was apparently in an open relationship. So that alone was like very anti-Hallmark. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was very funny. Um, but they did eventually by the end make it all very uh, normcore. <laughs> yes. And so it feels like they're like, we're going to go right to the edge and then pull it back. Um, so, I, yeah, I wanted it to be slightly edgier. It didn't, well, it didn't have to be edgy, edgy, but I do think that they need to break a few more rules in ways that made me appreciate, like, the formula, because yeah. I think that's the whole point. I mean, we're on HBO here. We can, we can have a little edge, right? You could be a little yeah. spicy. And this is, yeah. is this their first foray into an original I, holiday movie? I, I didn't check out the dates on the other ones that I saw recommended to me by HBO Max that were definitely originals. Like there was a one that was definitely for kids um, and it wasn't a Hallmark clone. So I was like, is that new or is that last year? I don't know. (laughs) So, but whatever it was, it's still one of their early ones. So yeah. And they didn't also like advertise as much. Um, they, They didn't have, like HBO Max doesn't have like, a stable of stars like Netflix does. Yeah. Um, because like their productions, it's not like they can pull someone from succession into it. Oh my god, I would have loved to see um Germ what's his name? Jeremy Strong. Strong in a Christmas movie. I would watch that a hundred percent. I would too, or Kieran Culkin. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, so it's not like they, they have to draw from not a Matthew McFadden, well. not uh, not Mr. Darcy. No, of course. No, no, let's let's keep let's keep it. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice 2005 Joe Wright's director version is is a Christmas movie. I don't care what. Yes. It's not set Christmas, but it's a Christmas movie. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah. I think the list of Christmas movies that are not Christmas movies has gotten longer because um, on Salon, we're about to post one that is The Long Kiss Goodnight, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but it's basically like, um, you know, Gina Davis being a kill, uh, kick-ass killer. Um, but yeah, so I, I think... That is the thing. You're right that HBO Max doesn't really know this this game that well, or at least they only dip their toe. So I think they could have pushed it more. Um, maybe in a year or two, if they continue doing this, there might be something. Who knows with Zaslav at the helm? Bleh, um, what that means. So maybe it's just going to be like, you know, uh, whatever, uh, Wicked Tuna people in a Christmas movie. I don't know. Oh, 
a crossover. I mean, you know, we joke, but have you guys seen that posting where um, they basically turned the 30 Rock joke MILF Island into a real show? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We're going to get Wicked Tuna Christmas like in five years. Yeah. We already had um, whatever. Duff Goldman. Goldman and Buddy Cianci in Christmas. Yeah. 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 That was on Discovery Plus. So like I, I definitely don't. Maybe I like Ice Road Truckers Christmas movie. Yeah. Do one that. Yeah. Because you know what? Road trips um, are a staple of Christmas movies. They could definitely yes. do one. Yes. And then yeah. like just shove every single like ice trucker in there. <laughs> they each play a different type of Santa along the line uh, way. <laughs> we got this. Um, anyway. So I have a question. How did the magical Christmas brown person work for you both? Do you mean her? I don't even know what her character was like an assistant gopher. You know, I don't know what I was half expecting her just to be a magical fourth wall breaking like fairy by the end of it. Yeah, I don't think she was super magical. I think she was just her assistant. Um, She felt magical, though, didn't she? Really? I don't think I didn't feel I didn't get that. So maybe maybe that tells you how I feel about like, I don't think it fell (laughs) necessarily into that trope. Um. I think she kept talking about formula, but I don't know if she actually made anything happen. I thought she was, I I just liked her vibe. Like mm-hmm. I, I thought she was really just, just the voice. Of, I, I know people with like very interesting voices in real life. And like, sometimes the delivery is just like, they just need to say it. And it's like entertaining. Yeah. Um, this yeah. is Rena, the character yes. Rena, um, who is basically like, but if you do this, then, it, you know, the the formula won't work. So that, she kind of kept her like on track and, the whole time. And, and then, of course, her like gathering. Everyone's like, haven't you ever been to therapy? Like, you need to talk about it. And I was like, OK, we we're getting real here. <laughs> I, you know, I guess like after watching so many Christmas movies, I'm just accepting that. Certain things are just, they just have to happen, right? You have to talk about how Christmas made you feel as a child and how that <laughs> instigated a love of Christmas or how you were hurt as a child by well, Christmas well, and they, how that affects you. In this case, they really did have to because it makes no sense for a character to want this so badly if they don't care for it. Because I'm like, like Jessica, the, the character, I'm like, Jessica, your dream cannot be just only making Christmas movies. Like that's usually what people do. Like they enjoy and they want to do good work, but they want to be paid to direct, right? This cannot, your magnum opus <laughs> cannot be making a network Christmas movie. Like, I just don't think that's, that's not a narrative in the filmmaking world. So I was just like, yeah, why do you care so much? And usually there is an element of like, oh, like so many people depend on me. And like, I have to make, you know, th- there have to be a, deeper reason than just her going being like like why it mattered so i was actually waiting for that explanation uh and then it is kind of funny that like you know jessica van being an asian actor i'm like oh this sounds like parental trauma (laughs) like i feel it i don't know if this was deliberate i'm sure they they just wrote the character like this and cast her but i'm like oh it hits a little too close not the fighting part but like the weird christmas experience because like real Chinese people don't really celebrate Christmas. Yeah, it was it was a little odd. Um I 
but also when you were talking about someone was hurt by Christmas, that, yes, that is uh, that was on brand. And at the same time, also just utterly ridiculous. Um, it, you know, I think this is the thing when it, when they're talking about like they, they were sort of building up like, oh, no, we ran out budget. Oh, no, all these other th- bad things are happening. And so how it all gets put together, usually for a Christmas movie, that's when they like put on a show and they raise some money. But this time they couldn't do, raise okay. any money. OK, I have so many problems with this third act. OK, from like <laughs> yes. because because so being entertainment adjacent for so long. Right. And knowing what we know, I'm just like, none of this makes any fucking sense. Not having a budget for extras does not mean you can just pull people to work for free. Yeah. You would still have to pay your crew to work as extras. Yeah. And they would have to be categorized. Like, I'm sure this is violating like a million union rules. And I'm like, that's not how it works. I, I, I think what happened here is the guy, the exec who came in, you know, the general hospital guy wrote this movie. Because it definitely sounds like someone doesn't understand movies, how, or how movies are made it, when they wrote this. And they kind of just looked up a few words and phrases and like maybe visits at once. So there's a you lot of weird. The director, though, the director would have been like, wait, that's not how it works. Um, especially <laughs> like we're talking about a theatrical like <laughs> like like this is not like a small indie film where like people do do that. And but. You know, that's a little more fast and loose. Like we're talking about like a what I'm assuming is a big corporate network and or production company and or studio who would have to abide by the labor laws of California. They're not even in like Georgia, <laughs> right, where they're you could even like skirt it like this is Los Angeles. We have some pretty strict rules. So I'm like, you cannot like having no money for extras means you have no money for extras. It does not matter where you pull them from. You cannot make your editor a musician and pay him the same, like pay him as just as an editor. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. But counterpoint, <laughs> Christmas magic. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I'm just like, wouldn't it be freaky if it just started snowing for real in July? In I Los was Angeles? waiting. I would be like, what the fuck is happening? Is this the apocalypse? Is this Armageddon? Is this the um? What's the th- the rapture? Is that the one where you get like beamed yeah. up? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I was waiting for the fake snow to come, and it didn't. So I was like, it well, was real. <laughs> Which, again, very concerning. <laughs> we don't even get rain. Okay, and we need that. You're telling me it's going to snow in Burbank? <laughs> I in mean, July? I mean, I can see why you'd be concerned. You were just playing a game set in the post-apocalypse. Exactly. And and I do have to say, they make a point of saying that, you know, it's the summer, it's July, it's warm, kind of to make these jokes. And then... Like Jessica's character, Jessica, which is also really weird because my name mm-hmm. proceeds to wear like a lot of coats. Yeah. When it's supposed to be July or August, assuming they're over budget or going into like a production, like it's fucking hot. That's when it is the hottest. Okay. <laughs> there was the, the joke about the actors wearing like cutaways underneath yes. their coats was yes. pretty funny. I did laugh at that. It joke. was very funny. And I love that joke, but then she proceeds to spend the entire movie in leather jackets and wool coats. And I'm like, it is a hundred degrees, my dude. I mean, yeah, but I don't know about you, but when I think of Jessica van 
for some reason, I think of her in leather leather jackets. That's just her vibe. I feel like she must have um, costumed herself because <laughs> there was something odd about it where I was just like, why are you wearing that as a director? Like, that's not comfortable. Um, you're usually the most comfortable person along with the rest of the crew on set. Even if you are trying to be maybe a little professional, then you just wear a blazer or something. But like a long duster coat was weird. Um so in July. But, <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, even on set where some things are cold, once you're near the lights, you get really warm. So I was just like, I, I'm very confused by this whole thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, those well, we know too much. That's yeah. that's just I, well, that was the thing about it. I was like, well, while we were watching this, I was thinking, oh, I wonder how we're all taking it in versus how a regular audience would, because we've all you know, either been on set or very familiar with certain things and the way they work. Um, so <laughs> we're going to be more critical in that. <laughs> okay. I mean, you're well documented in your own feelings about all the fake journalists that populate the um, the Christmas movie landscape, right? Yeah, yeah. If you're going to be a fake journalist, yeah. <laughs> if you're going to be a fake journalist, be a fake journalist like Rose McIver is in Christmas Prince and entertain me, right? Like make ridiculous notes. Um, but what, if you're going to be a fake journalist and just be um, bad and and violate a lot of you know <laughs> like confidentiality and do bad reporting, no, 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 I don't want that. <laughs> I did laugh though when the. Um, the the fight or the big blowout was about budgets and i was like that rings a little close yeah, yeah. that sounds pretty yeah. true like um maybe that's just a me thing but i'd be you know yeah i'd get mad over someone fucking up my budget and just the plot point of it surrounding a corporate merger which led to the a inexperienced absent- nepo baby <laughs> Getting a job in the field and then not understanding it and then fucking it up. Yeah. Yeah. But again, very weird because that's like technically her boss. So she should really not be flirting with him, especially when they're on the same project. But then, and then the ending being like, oh, do you need a producer? It's like, I don't think you should sleep with your producer. Like, that sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I mean, maybe the rules don't apply to. People who meet under Christmas. Yeah, who for people who fall in love under Christmas magic pretenses, you know? I don't know, man. We literally just had she said come out as a movie. Like we're talking (laughs) about me too within the entertainment con. Like maybe don't. Maybe don't. Yeah. I feel like I feel like as with most holiday viewing, best done with your brain off probably that's true yeah turn it way off for this um just enjoy (laughs) just enjoy the ridiculousness of it so yeah um yeah um but i you know i did enjoy jessica's performance i always like the like as cheesy and as formulaic as they are i do like seeing more diversity in christmas films i think because the fact is like having diverse casting is still considered it's still probably considered risky. And the fact that we're getting more of those in like these, for lack of a better term, like cashing a paycheck jobs. I mean, like, yeah, this is what we want diversity in everything, right? And that includes like cheesy Christmas movies. Cause 10 years ago, 20 years ago, this just would have gone to some, you know, his co-star, his white co-star who was also in general hospital. Um, and yeah, we 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 want we want access to everything, the good and the bad. And 
the somewhere in between. Yeah. Which let's be real, that's where Christmas movies exist most Some, of the time. Yeah. Someone's making money on these films. Why yeah. not us? We can't all be Vanessa Hudgens in the um masterpiece that is Princess Switch one, two, and three. I mean, um, I feel like in terms of Christmas movie tears. There's the Princess Switch trilogy, which is S tier. And then you have, you know, like, I guess the HBO tier, which is probably around A or B. And then, you know, and then, you know, the hallmarks, you know, B minus, solid B sometimes. Yeah. I mean, that's why I was like happy enough to see Ozzy Chow in that other one, because I was like, oh, you're in you're in Canada. Just cash in the, all of those um, holiday movie paychecks because, you you know, it's low. uh low involvement you know he can still do other things you know just enjoy it <laughs> all right well before we wrap things up let's find out our final verdict is a hollywood christmas good pop i say yes i think it's actually a lot smarter and funnier and better produced and acted than a lot of the in you know the big volume shoot of christmas movies we get in the last quarter of the year entertaining uh solid acting and it is you know like the movie says sometimes you just need a little light-hearted warm comfortable feelings to watch i think it's all right not my favorite <laughs> but i liked that it was meta so there were things in there that i very much appreciated um but so you know you know what you're getting yourself into yeah and i'm very pro you know people like jessica van getting that check <laughs> yeah um, I think it's good. I, as a Christmas film, I think it did its job well. Um, you know, I definitely rolled my eyes at a bunch of it, but that's just because these films are inherently cheesy. And, you know, um, <laughs> but out of the two Christmas films I watched this year, this was definitely probably <laughs> the better one. Um, uh, I did like yes. the, um, is it juxtaposition or dissonance of like seeing an HBO quality film, but also, like the low budget version of that because everything on this film was shot <laughs> in the back lot on sets like that they probably weren't yes. using. Yeah. But the quality was like HBO quality. It was really interesting to see. Yeah. It's also like, oh, that is, you know, that's Gilmore Girls gazebo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. I assume they only have one gazebo yeah. on the lot. I've I'm like, been on in that gazebo. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, lols, you know, yeah. it's if, a little, if, if little they, fun. If they had pulled out the friend's couch, I would have lost it. They should have used all of those WB th set pieces. <laughs> they probably would have. Do you have to pay royalties on that couch? Like, it must be in a museum somewhere, I, right? I don't. There's. Okay. So, spoiler alert there are several friend's couches, and there's definitely one on the lot. Um, I also attended a wedding where um, they rented the friend's couch. The two TV journalists that I went to their wedding. They um they got the Warner Brothers to do a friend's couch for their photo booth. That's really funny. Yeah. So it was a it was the ultimate TV journalist wedding to attend. I would wow. Say. That's oh, that's that's Yo, a little extra. That's like that's like Marvin. If at our weddings we had like a donation table, <laughs> a, a charity auction table. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. Oh my god, I cannot. Well, you can catch a Hollywood Christmas uh, streaming now on HBO Max. Um, it's a solid Christmas movie. You can put it on while you're having your Christmas dinner or lunch or whatever you do for Christmas. My family does Christmas Eve dinner. Christmas Eve, and I'm not cooking this year, so I'm very <laughs> excited. 
Well, that'll do it for this episode of Good Pop. Uh, Jess Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? Still on Twitter at Just You Tweets. And I'm at Anonymous. You can find me at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts. You can check out our fellow Potluck Pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everyone who celebrates. Uh, we have one more episode before the new year. And next week we'll be back to recap the best pop of 2022. But until then, um, we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Bull Book, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.